Owen's second novel is a story of survival, hope and endurance, article by Elizabeth Lee. While others were busy baking banana bread or perfecting their sourdough mother, Dr Owen Smith spent his time writing a book during the pandemic. A Provincial Death is his second novel and it centres around a character who wakes up to find himself clinging to a rock in the middle of the sea. He has memory loss, so he has to figure out what led him to be clinging on for dear life while surrounded by a deep, undulating ocean. The reason he's there is because he followed a woman who believes that the moon is going to crash into the earth. It's not a realistic piece of fiction, explains Owen. It's about a sense of catastrophe and how you endure that feeling of being overwhelmed. It's a story of survival, of trying to keep hope, of trying to endure in a world that can be overwhelmed by narratives of individual or societal or planetary catastrophe. It's a book about how we are sustained by memories, about how humans find consolation in books and art and philosophy, about how we cope with the human struggle, explains Owen. Although Owen wrote the book during the pandemic, a provincial death is not about COVID-19. It's not about the pandemic as such. No one mentions COVID-19, but there is a heaviness in the atmosphere. It's about isolation, but there's also hope. The character clings on. He doesn't give up hope, says Owen. Owen is talking about his new book from his office in Carlow College. He's an English lecturer, having first come here in 2011. He teaches Gothic literature, literary criticism, creative writing and mainly modern Irish literature. His room is suitably garret-like, complete with a dusty half-moon-shaped window and shelves of books. Many Irish authors' names are written on the spines, including James Joyce, Samuel Beckett and John Banville, the latter being the subject of his doctorate. He chose Banville because of his ability to write literary fiction that is also a page-turner, like his Booker-nominated The Book of Evidence. I started reading him when I was a teenager. I loved his style. His books could be gripping and thrilling, but still literature. The Book of Evidence is a crime thriller that's also interested in larger questions, such as truth and authenticity, continues Owen. He can speak to the intelligentsia as well as tell a really good story. I owe my career to John Banville because my PhD is based on him and without that I couldn't work as a lecturer. Having that spark as a teenager has led me to lecturing and even writing myself, he smiles. Owen grew up in Ballantyre, Dublin and attended school in St. Benildas College for Boys in Kilmacud. As a teenager he developed a love of reading and devoured any book that fell into his path. I read everything, from fantasy to science fiction to horror to Jane Austen and Emily Bronte, he recalls. He attended Trinity for two years to read history, but dropped out and took time out before he went to UCD at the age of 22. By the time I went to UCD, I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't want to make a mess of it, so I was very dedicated to my studies. I loved it all. I loved the lectures, the reading, the learning and being a student, says Owen. He studied English and philosophy there and went on to do his master's in Maynooth. During his studies, he developed a love of philosophy that still informs his life and his work. Philosophy gave me a new sense of how the world works. In a way, philosophy remade me. My books are philosophical too, like What Does It Mean to Exist? What do you do now that you're here, but you know that you're going to die one day? 
How do you not get overwhelmed by that, he asks. He seems perfectly suited to Carlow College, which is Ireland's second oldest college, having begun life as a seminary back in the 1790s. It's a privilege to work in a place like this. There's a huge respect for the humanities, for the discipline of inquiry. It's more than just a place of work. There's an environment where you're thinking and asking questions that have been asked for centuries. Some see education as utilitarian, but it's very important to serve to a spirit of inquiry too. As one of my lecturers used to say, study philosophy not to get answers, but to get better questions. Although his role in Carlow College has shifted somewhat and he's now a development project manager, he still teaches modern English and clearly loves his subject. He describes Sally Rooney's Normal People as an era-defining novel, just like Joyce's Dubliners or Edna O'Brien's Country Girls. They all capture all the tensions in society at the time. With Normal People, no one had really been able to write about that generation before. The book is set in 2011, so the characters were born in the early 90s. They were children of the boom, but they were going to college during the bust when the Irish economy had collapsed. Marianne, the character, seems to speak for her generation and their values. There's a real sense in the book that society has failed them. There's an overriding feeling at the end of Rooney's book that things are unresolved and murky. A Provincial Death is Owen's second novel, having already published A Failing Heart in 2018. Both are published by Daedalus, and Owen has begun his third book. And while he's reluctant to say too much about the work in progress, he does reveal that it's a gothic crime story set during the Irish famine. He would advise anyone harbouring ambitions to write a book to go for it, but to be as true to yourself and what you want to say as possible. Just do it. The great thing about writing a book is the stimulation that comes from doing something creative. It's more important that you write the book that you want to write. A Provincial Death is on sale at the Visual Arts Centre and all good bookshops from the 11th of February. Karlovian, who helped to draft the US Constitution, died 200 years ago. Article by Jimmy O'Toole. On this day, the 15th of February in 1822, the death occurred of Pierce Butler at his mansion home in Philadelphia, USA. Born in County Carlow in 1744, he was one of the fathers of American democracy and yet remains one of this country's least celebrated emigrants to the New World. After the American Revolution, he was one of the architects of the Constitution and was a signatory of that historic document signed in Philadelphia in 1787. He represented South Carolina at the Constitutional Congress and the Constitutional Convention, at which George Washington was unanimously elected president. Soldier, politician and statesman, Butler went to America as a 14-year-old army officer fighting with the British troops in the French and Indian Wars between 1758 and 1762 in defence of the colonies. He later switched sides, becoming a spokesman for the frontiersmen, and by 1779 he was organising American militia forces against the same British units with which he had fought just six years earlier. Once described as an aristocrat-turned-revolutionary, Pierce Butler, born on the 11th of July 1744, could list future American presidents Thomas Jefferson, James Monroe and James Madison among his contemporaries. 
He was the second eldest son of Sir Richard Butler's three sons. The eldest, Thomas, inherited Ballantemple, and William Paul lived at nearby Broomville. In the honoured fashion of the time, Sir Richard bought his second son a commission in the 22nd Regiment of Foot, today's Cheshire Regiment. The commission was worth €3,000 when Pierce Butler sold it 15 years later. Four years after he first arrived in America, he returned to Ireland in 1762. Three years later, he again set sail for America, where he served on garrison duty in Nova Scotia. He was later posted to Boston, where in 1770, a detachment from his unit fired the first shots in the Boston Massacre. This was the confrontation that dramatically escalated the conflict between Britain and the colonies. In 1771, Pierce Butler married Mary Middleton, the daughter of a wealthy South Carolina planter and colonial leader. The couple had nine children, four of whom died young, including their eldest son, Pierce. When the 29th Regiment of Foot received orders to return to Britain in 1773, Butler, then holding the rank of major, decided to leave the army, and with the money from the sale of his commission, he purchased a plantation in coastal Georgia. Augmented by his wife's inherited estates in South Carolina and his later purchases in both states, Butler's holding eventually exceeded 10,000 acres. The War of Independence cost him much of his wealth, and his finances were so precarious that he was forced to travel to Amsterdam to seek a personal loan. He was elected to the United States Senate in 1789 and served until 1796. He was again returned in 1802 to 1803, and he retired from active politics in 1805. Writing in the Bicentennial series Soldier Statesmen of the Constitution in 1987, U.S. Army Secretary John O. Marsh had this to say of Butler. Although an aristocrat to the manor born, Butler became a leading spokesman for the frontiersmen and impoverished Western settlers. Finally, this patriot, always a forceful and eloquent advocate of the rights of the common man during the debate over the Constitution, was also the proud owner of a sizable number of slaves. During the drafting of the Constitution, he was influential in getting a compromise agreed, allowing southern states the right to possess slaves. And another of his inputs was the creation of the electoral college system for the election of American presidents. The safeguard he insisted on here was to prevent a few large states getting sufficient votes to dictate the outcome of presidential elections. His wife died in 1791, and in his will he left his estates valued at $500,000 to three of his grandchildren, two of whom, at their grandfather's request, changed their names from Mees to Butler. His only surviving son Thomas was described as a disappointment to his father, and refused to name either of his two sons Pierce.